Early learning education programs are not new. They've been around for years in multiple forms. Whether that's Dora the Explorer talking to you on her latest adventure, or hopping on your computer to travel along the Oregon Trail. The traditional education system has always been supplemented with various programs and platforms for all ages. The issue is, very few of them actually show or measure tangible results. Homer teaches step-by-step to read, and we teach step-by-step math. I didn't want to just build another game, like there was enough entertainment out there. It was more important to me that we actually delivered something that worked. That's Stephanie Dua, the co-founder and president of Homer, an early learning program that is primarily focused on helping children get the best possible start to their education. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Stephanie explains how she was in a unique opportunity to not only help jumpstart her own daughter's education, but to bring a scalable education product to market. She also explains what separates Homer from its competitors and why phenomic awareness is the secret to the product's success. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, special guest, we have the co-founder, president, and COO of Homer, Stephanie Dua. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Great. It's great to be here. Thanks, Albert. I'm excited. All right. Let's get right to it. Tell our audience what exactly is Homer. Homer is an early learning program. We're really focused on kids ages two to eight. We really want to bring the best early learning start possible to children. So we have... Um, we're really looking to provide an end-to-end solution for families, you know, families looking to supplement their children's early learning. We provide digital software. So we have a reading and math product in our Learn and Grow. And we have also a physical toys that we recently just launched through Homer Explore Kits. So I'm a parent. I have kids that are learning right now, I think, as many parents do with their kids learning online. What I've seen so far, I feel like is Kind of similar to what I grew up with in the 80s, you know, like games and stuff. Math Blaster was a game I remember. I feel like my kids play something similar. They call it something else now. I don't, I can't recall what they called. What is something different or what is unique about what Homer is offering that maybe some of the other learning education digital platforms are not, is not offering right now? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I didn't start Homer to kind of be a tech entrepreneur. I was a mom with three little kids and I was the CEO of the Fund for Public Schools in New York City. And my oldest daughter was struggling with reading. She was a nervous reader and she was just starting kindergarten and she kept asking me, can I help her? She was seeing her friends reading more and she wanted some support. So I was in this incredibly unique position to have access to the top literacy experts in the country. And I asked them, I'm like, okay, my daughter's really, really nervous and struggling and she wants me to be the one to help her. So, you know, what should I do? And they said, you know, without skipping a beat, that there really wasn't anything for parents. They said that there's what, just what you said, Albert, they said that there's kind of great fun games that are entertainment oriented, Yep. you know, that, you know, assume that a child's being taught something in school and they may reinforce some concepts, or you have products in schools that teachers use that are very educational, but you really require a teacher to use those. So I thought, you know, look, on the one hand, I'm, you know, in this incredible um, position to have access to these great literacy experts, and I can't find anything for my, for my daughter. And I, and I realized soon that I wasn't 
alone. You know, many parents, you know, want to see how that they can help their kid and really view themselves as, as their most important early teacher for their children. So I thought, can you combine the best of the iPad? It was the first year of the iPad. Could we provide the best of the technology and really build something very scalable? And you ask what's different. There are a couple of things that are different. One is we didn't really want to build just something that was supplemental. So part of the, we're a very socially minded company. And really what we wanted to build was irrespective of your zip code, could we give you a best in class reading experience and a best in class math experience? So the company and the product uniquely teaches a kid to read. So other products are supplemental and they assume a child's getting teaching instruction in the classroom, but we actually teach a child step-by-step to read and we teach a child step-by-step math. And the product, we were the first digital product to actually put ourselves up for a a double-blind randomized efficacy study, really because for me, it was so important that the product worked. I didn't want to just build another game. Like there was enough entertainment out there. It was more important to me that we actually delivered something that worked. And after the efficacy study, they basically came back and said it nearly doubled kids' reading scores and they were considered kindergarten ready. All right. So I want to dive into this piece because for those of our listeners that maybe they don't have kids or maybe their kids aren't quite at this age, really learning is such an interesting thing. If you like break down what is the material that our kids are given. So uh-huh. the, what our kid is commonly given, or if, and I'll go with a paper format and we'll go digital format. And then I want to hear what you guys ex- discovered was different. Okay. So in a paper format world, the words can be spelled out Apple. They're going to encourage you to sound it out. A-P-P-L-E, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to encourage you to sound it out. You get a picture of it. And then maybe you're asked the kid to recite it. Now I noticed that having three kids, some of my kids could, they were literally like re-saying what I just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? Like they weren't actually learning how to read. For those of you who are not parents yet, it's pretty mind boggling. If you read the same book to your kid every night, and by the way, your kid will never get tired of it for some reason. I don't know why, but like it won't be long before they can almost recite it. Yep. So like, I was like, okay, so I, I was kind of blown away, but then I was like, I don't think my kid actually knows how to read. I think they're just repeating me. Yeah. Right. So that's like the old way. That's the, that's like yeah. the paper way. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. The digital way is going to be like Dora the Explorer and she's going to say Apple and she's going to keep saying it back and forth. I have no idea if my kid knows how to read that or what. There's like no feedback loop or anything like that. Yeah. What did you guys discover that was like, let's say materially different or better to supplement that, you know, more traditional way of just saying the same thing over and over again? Yeah, no, it's such a great question. And I could kind of geek out on this all day long. So I hope we have some more time to talk about it. Do that's what that's our audience loves this stuff. Our audience loves this stuff. Tell us. So I spent a couple of years just digging into all the data. So one of the things that I learned as the CEO of the largest school district of the fund for public schools in the largest school district. So New York City serves 1.1 million kids. You know, two thirds of children across the country enter third grade not being proficient at reading. Two thirds of children, and it cuts socioeconomic um, classes of, of families. And so, what when you dig into the data, there are a couple of problems in the system that that identified. One is between preschool, pre-K, and K, your child might have three totally different institutions that teach completely differently. So they're not talking to each other. So they're, the handoffs are messy, right? So in preschool, they may start with one methodology. It's a different methodology in pre-K and a totally different methodology in kindergarten. So that creates a very disjointed uh, experience for the child. 
But the second piece, which is why Dr. Susan Newman got so excited, she's the one who did the efficacy study with us. She was the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Education. Her theory is that we're teaching, we're taking too long to teach phonics Mm. and phonics instruction could be done in more what her words were a boot camp. And if we could do phonics instruction earlier in a child's life in a more concentrated way, is there a way we could get kids learning to read on their own sooner, therefore developing the comprehension skills? And that's what excited her about Homer. So after I dug into all the data, what I realized, and this is holds true for our math product as well, is that like many things, the education system has created a lot of complexity over the years to teaching. And if you go back to the 1800s, I bought the very first textbooks ever in the United States. I had to buy them from like old antique stores. So they had these old readers, they were called the McGuffey readers, and they were about the size of a moleskin. And each one was one grade. Now, when you contrast that with an actual textbook for a third grade reader, which is like, I think I weighed it, it weighed in at 25 pounds. You know, the, well, the teacher's version was 10, 25 pounds. The, the kid version was a couple of pounds, but it was 300 pages. And so you can, like, how is that? That back in the 1800s, we had something the size of a moleskin, and today we have something that's 300 pages long. So the challenge is no teacher can teach 300 pages in a single year of classroom, and there's no personalization for the child. So we really built Homer on the the following foundation was we um, learned that what's called phonemic awareness, which is that the way you hear the sound, like if you take the the word pat, the p. So when you're a dad teaching your son or your daughter to read, you might say, look at the letter P, it makes the p sound, but it doesn't actually make the p sound. We tend to put an A on the end of every sound, but it Mm -hmm. actually makes the p sound. And so if you actually isolate that sound and we do, we did mouth models, cartoon characters that isolated that sound perfectly and trained the child's ear to hear that sound, that a child's ear can understand those sounds with a lot of accuracy at a very young age. And when they hear it over and over again, they can, what it's called decoding and uncoding and encoding, they can glue and unglue words. So they learn to read and spell at the same time. And that's the magic recipe. So it's a combination of phonemic awareness, which is the sounds and learning to read and spell at the same time. And that's how the program was built. And that's why Dr. Newman said that after just six weeks, kids were considered kindergarten ready. And it was really a breakthrough product that could you know, make a huge difference at scale in the country. You were hitting about the idea of kids memorizing words. And it's an interesting phenomenon. So in the United States, we see this really interesting dip in fourth grade. So kids might do well kindergarten first and second and third because they're able to memorize short words. But in fourth grade, those words get much more complex. So if they've been able to rely on memory for so long, and then they can't rely on it anymore because the words are more complex, they start to fall behind. And so that's another challenge with using really memory as, as your kind of crutch. Yeah. And that's what, that's the one thing I noticed the amount of, let's say examples that my kid was writing or the amount of, cause you were talking about like the 300 pages is like the exercises, there's significant exercises, which I'm not opposed to doing the work because I think that right. helps someone learn, but it just gave my gut feeling like, I don't think my kid's learning. I think my kid has learned to memorize this. I, that's what I believe. Right. Cause if you go from page to page, they would be like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And for kids who have great memory, 
skills like my middle daughter that can that's a big crutch for them and it can last but then it starts to unravel later on you know for those kids and you see it it's called the fourth grade slide it's actually a, a term that you see with kids so you you took a look you went back and did your research you discovered mm-hmm. hey curriculums used to be much shorter mm-hmm. and i argue that people were more eloquent back then too so like mm-hmm. they were definitely reading and writing at higher levels probably than what we are today mm-hmm. most of us can't like if we were to try to read like the federalist papers you'd be like what am i reading <laughs> <laughs> it's very complicated. No, it's it's actually true. In fact, in those little textbooks, if you compared the fifth grade textbook from the 1800s, it matches to about an eighth grade level curriculum today. That's amazing. And so you've you've uncovered this, but now let's talk about that bridge, which is how do you deliver this in a digital mm. medium? Because the iPad is first coming about. Uh, people, kids are certainly gravitating toward toward it. They like the tactical nature of it, the fact that it reacts to what I'm doing. So you want to develop this application. What was the process you guys went through at Homer to say, okay, this is the way this type of curriculum is going to be delivered digitally? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, backing up technology, while I'm not necessarily an engineer, technology has always been part of my path. So I got my start at UCLA in planetary uh, geophysics, and I learned Fortran. So I had some sense, I mean, Fortran's obviously not used anymore. In fact, I nearly went to work on the first Mars expedition at NASA. And so I finally launched my, my app, actually the month that the rover landed, which was pretty exciting. That is awesome. But no, so I've always kind of thought of like, how might we solve, you know, problems using technology, even sort of older, older versions of that technology. And so when my daughter first had these challenges, and then also Albert, you know, I, realize that with 1.1 million kids, you can have the best teacher in every classroom, but you really can't. Like, you know, you can't, it's just not possible. You're always going to have, you know, some great teachers and some not as strong teachers. And so how do you take great curricula and teaching and kind of build that at scale? So I thought about using technology from the beginning for the reasons you said around engagement, but also because I felt like that's the scalable way. In education reform, we've spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. I raised $350 million, and I still think we were struggling with scale. But in terms of the the pragmatic transition is we did just a ton of user testing. So we knew that we wanted to approach this with simulating the best teaching. So to simulate the best teaching, you really needed to do this sort of heavy focus on phonemic awareness and sounds. And one, a couple of the unintended consequences or, or unexpected surprises in this is that in many ways, it's a very safe way for children to learn because they're able to put their headphones on. It's quiet. They're not in a classroom. They don't feel the pressure of having to perform in a classroom. And so the other benefit of technology and using it on a one-to-one is that it's a very safe at your own pace way of learning. And so we really designed, Homer has an incredible team of researchers, both from a UX, UI research. We have dedicated user experience research. We also have dedicated researchers on the learning design side who do what's called um, formative and summative research. So every piece of content goes through a lot of kid testing to make sure that the children love it and they're engaged, but they're also comprehending what's happening. And that's really been the kind of, I would say the plot, the, what's really innovative. Someone was asking me the other day is, is it, is it easy to replicate your content? Couldn't you just look at it, you know, and replicate it? And I like to say, sure, but companies have tried and no one's been successful. You know, the big publishers, even the entertainment companies have struggled with this. 
because I think we have this unique, really the secret sauce for us is bridging this entertainment, the really like what kids love and the heavy education. And very few companies have had that Venn diagram. Gotcha. And so when a kid, when um, a parent or a kid, they, they install Homer now, what's the experience like a little bit? I, I'd love for you to describe it just because I'm sure. So we obviously have a high tech focused our tech focused audience, right? And so, but a lot of them are probably, you know, going to have children or have young children. They're not quite, and we can assume that most of our audience values education. Yes. Right. <laughs> Very much so. Definitely. Definitely. So, cause I, I know for me, I'll, I'll, I'll say for me, and I don't mind saying this, I supplement, I agree. I supplemented my kids knowledge and then learning with a program called Kumon, which hilariously has like the most depressing logo ever, but yes. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> Kumon's logo literally is it, it's apropos. By the way, the kid is like depressed and the smile, like barely has a smile. Um, my so kids true. hate it. My kids <laughs> absolutely hate it, and I tell them all the times, like, I don't care if you like it or not. Real like Asian dad style, like, I don't care if you like it or not. You're gonna get this done. <laughs> it's so true, right? I love that you admitted that. It's awesome, right? But it's not yeah. fun, and it's it's just drills, like assignments. It's just lined up assignments. There's nothing really fun about it. It's just drill, drill, drill. Yeah. And you drill it so much that you basically you learn because you've just done it so many times. Yeah. Well, and what you're hitting on the repetition. It, I mean, I I'm not I'm familiar with Kumon naturally, but I'm not familiar with their curriculum. My kids didn't go through it, but. I think that what Kumon's delivering is that repetition and that structure, right? Yeah. And so that it's making it easy for you. So you don't have to kind of be the bad guy, right? And say like, let's sit down and do math or let's sit down and practice our reading. Cause that's hard. That's a hard position for parents to be in. So the user experience for Homer is we want it to bridge this very delight. We're kind of want to be that the anti Kumon in the sense that we want kids to love it and ask for it and beg for it while having the learning value that you as a parent value so much, right? So it's that titration to use the scientific knowledge. So the user experience is a parent does all the onboarding. There's an assessment for the child to understand where are they in their reading level and where are they with math? Because what is unique about the product and what's unique about children is they may be really advanced in reading, but but not as advanced in math. And so when they're so young, it's so hard to go by grade level. And so we really want to customize the experience for each child. So we, we've identified a set of questions that can very reliably and predictably get us, get the child into the right pathway. And then once they're in that pathway, it's a very structured curriculum for reading and for math. But we know that sometimes children just want to relax and read a story, and that's as important, or they just want to relax and practice something that they've learned. Because one of the interesting things that adults do is they assume young children don't want to learn, but in fact, it's really about how that learning is presented. And if it's presented in a really engaging way, all kids naturally want to learn at that age. And so we really believe that and we've seen that. So the entire onboarding is about getting them the right level, because if it's too hard or too easy, they're going to get bored or frustrated. And then making sure that also their passions and interests. So we ask questions, do you like bugs? Do you like dinosaurs? Do you like princesses? Because we found that if, they, if, we, if we can really help them further something that they're really passionate and interested in, you know, kids get super obsessed. My youngest daughter was obsessed with like small farm animals. We didn't live anywhere near a farm, but she was obsessed with small farm animals when we were young, you know? And so you want to be able to like engage them in things that they like while delivering the, the skills and knowledge. Okay. I can already see it because 
We are currently, for my daughter, who's six, she is in Kumon, but she's learning the combination letters that, you know, they don't, they don't make the sound that they look like. Yeah. So like O-U-G-H, right? Yeah, exactly. Explaining to her that that means O is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then last night she had the I-T-C-H, so like pitcher mm-hmm. um, and then like switch. So I, it's an itch, right? But she hated the reading on it. It was all centered around baseball. Right. And I, and I, and she doesn't like sports. She doesn't like sports. Exactly. So I was like, just, uh, and you know, cause it's a bit that every mom or dad has been there, right? It was like, just do it. And your kid is throwing up whatever fight they're throwing up because kids, yeah. you know, they can show some resistance. They sure can. And, and so yeah. I'm listening to you to explain this and like, man, it had her curriculum been about princesses and, and like, she's, she's yeah. very, I would say, uh, gender stereotypical girl like she and that's okay yeah, it's fine yeah. it's totally fine she, I, I don't know where she got it from but she loves princesses loves pink purple like that every, everything like that you know she thought moana was awesome but she thought maui was annoying because he's a boy <laughs> right? i love that but but like why doesn't maui just help her like right, and she has brothers too exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but it makes total sense had the subject matter been adapted plus introduce those lessons i mean i'm assuming she would have she would have fought less for sure she would have fought less 100 <laughs> percent. yeah and I, you know people parents ask me often like what's your advice you know they my girls are now a little bit older my we were just spending some time together as a family and they were reading a lot and they read a lot and my oldest now 16 was reading you know a, a booker prize finalist you know this really really big dense meaty book And people often say like, how do you get your kids to read? What did you do? And so my advice to parents is, you know, this is, this is where it gets very old school, but 15 to 20 minutes a day, just make it a habit. You know, we know a lot in tech about building habits, whether it's wellness habits, whether it's whatever those habits may be, we know about how important it is to have predictability. So for my kids, since they were very, very young, I've said without Without an excuse, every day you're going to read for 20 to 30 minutes, even if we're traveling, even if we're it's Christmas, even if it's Thanksgiving, you're still going to do your 20 to 30 minutes of reading. And when they couldn't read, I would read to them. But it's been interesting because that habit has built up and now they're reading you know, complex books and they enjoy it. They prefer to read than doing other things. I mean, they're still on their electronics, of course, and they're still you know, using social media, which is, you know very exciting um, for, for teenage girls. But still, I just think that those have, that's where the habits come in. And then, you know, even if it's hard in the beginning, like your daughter was saying that this particular reading was hard, it gets easier over time, provided that you've built in the habit. Yeah. You know, every, every tech company, every company actually right now is leveraging data in many, many ways. How do you constantly think about what data points are you looking at to adapt the platform? Because there's certainly there's assessment Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be an assessment, right? Because Homer itself has to know, like my, if I'm the customer, my kids are progressing, right? And you're going to, you're dynamically giving me new content around what they're interested in. How do you guys keep evolving this product? It sounds highly personalized, but I'm just kind of thinking on your side, what do you, what are you and your engineering teams focused on in terms of building the next wave of curricula? Because we know it's not going to stay the same. Yeah. So, you know, I think in terms of future forward, you know, there are some exciting pieces for us. One is we're learning more and more about different families and what their goals are. So there's obviously the child's learning and and the child engagement, but not every family has the same goals, right? So there's some 
some families that are just like, I just want my child to have something really enriching and I don't really care whether they're learning math or whether they're learning reading at this point. Some families are like, I really want them to have a sequence and I want them to kind of get ahead and I want to make sure that they're you know, on track. And so I think in one of the things we're learning is how do we better pair the parent's goals and desires with what the child experiences while staying true to the child's really because we're a child-centered learning company and wanting to make sure we're delivering that that great learning for a child. So that's really an interesting use of data, you know, more of the demographic data um, that we're looking at and, you know, survey data, consumer research that we're looking into. From the child experience, you know, in any time you have a product that's facing kids, you know, we've always been at the forefront around data and privacy from very early days. And as that's gotten more and more restrictive for companies that... Um, that sell products to children, you know, we've, we've been in a fortunate position in that we don't collect personally identifiable information and we never really set up our systems to do that. So we, we are able to, through formative research, understand really how, what the pathway of a child is. We're able to look at right and wrong answers that parents want to understand how well the child's doing. And we're able to understand how the child's interests and where they want to kind of go deeper and where they, you know, that journey where they want to explore more. And I think that the, in terms of the future forward, we're adding more math and we're really looking at adding social emotional learning, which we're very excited about because I think that in COVID, we're also finding that to be such a gap for families, which is like, how do you talk about some of these challenging subjects? How do we think about the overall wellness, mental health wellness of our children? You know, how do we think about their feelings? How do we think about how they're making sense of the world? And so I think that there are going to be a lot of opportunities for, think, uh, for us to think about um, certainly using technology platforms in a way to deliver that in exciting ways. So part of what we've talked about so far has been on the reading side, and you yeah. kind of talked a little bit about math. What, what is unique about how Homer approaches math or, you know, growing up, the only references I have, of course, of what I experienced and saw around me, right? Growing up in an Asian household, my father had a master's degree in mathematics and statistics. I mean, he oh, was wow. like, he was just like, dude, this is how it's done. You should do it. And there's no, there's no other way to do it, right? Math has one answer. It's like, oh, there's got to be another way. He's like, no, there's not. Uh, we had no calculators. He wanted me to calculate everything. You know, he would love that. If I got anything wrong, of course, he was just like, just so ashamed. Just so. <laughs> Sounds like my, so I, for, yes, to emphasize with you, my, my husband's Indian and his father is a bit of a savant mathematically and his mother was a math teacher. And so um, my husband started very young with all three girls teaching them math. And most of the time it ended in tears. <laughs> Um, how do you not understand this? You know? And, and he's like, it's so obvious what the answer is. Um, no, but he was, he loves math and he wanted them to love math. And actually the second and the third daughters, they're both actually doing very advanced math. But one of the things we learned in the process, um, in the New York city, um, department of education, and also I was part of the common core work, um, you know, that was done sort of that early thinking around, standards and literacy and math. And one of the things you learn in math, similar to, so in reading, it's all about phonemic awareness. It's like, if you don't get that, you kind of, it's the missing piece for everyone. And in math, it's all about number sense. So if you don't have a really good grounding in what's a one, a 10, a hundred, a thousand, like how the different sizes of numbers and how to manipulate those, then kids get really stuck later on because they're in, you know, learning fractions or they're learning basic algebra and they, they're mixing up their numbers because they don't have a good sense of that number sense. 
So at Homer, just like we focus on phonemic awareness, we have a heavy, heavy focus on number sense. And then we have a heavy focus on math is a tricky one. We want kids to view themselves as mathematicians, that they can be mathematicians. And so, and that's particularly important for girls. There's a lot of anxiety around math with girls. And, you know, sometimes teachers perpetuate that even, or moms or dads will say like, I wasn't very good at math or I was really good at math. And so math becomes a thing, right? Like you're either good at it or you're not good at it. And so much of that then leads to later confidence. So um, we really try and build that confidence early on so kids can see themselves as mathematicians and we play games so that they can really view themselves as a mathematician. Yeah. So the, one of the things I, I just observed was the power of knowing, because I taught my first son, he had a hard time with this concept of when the number, like how, you know, A plus, I call it rolling over 10. Common Core is supposed to help solve that, right? Rolling over a, a 10. Mm-hmm. And I said, you really only have to know how to add to 19. Mm-hmm. And he really thought, I think he, for, he really thought about like memorizing that. I remember him being a young yes. child trying to memorize every combination of math. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to know how to get to 10 and you need to know how much over 10 it goes. Up to 19, once you have that, you can add anything. And I remember when the Common Core curriculum came out, he was able to do it. But then my other son, he picked it up like that. Right. I mean, he he recognized right out the gate, like this is 10, that's over 10. And he thought right. Common Core was annoying because right. filling out the bubbles, like he was like, why do I got to fill out the bubbles? I, already, yeah. I can see the number. Why don't I? I already know what it is. Yes, I can see <laughs> I what it is. I don't want to fill it out. You're hitting on such an interesting subject because what you're hitting on is flexible thinking. And for many kids, they, they learn math and they learn one way to do it. And then when they get to an exam or something else where they have to, they have to really practice what they've learned and they see it in a different context, they freeze up. You know, they're like, that's not the way because they've memorized a particular way of doing it. So the other piece that we're really, we're really developing is how do we develop a child's flexible thinking skills so that they can see the same problem in a different context. And that was the same for me with my oldest daughter. I think she really like wanted to memorize all the formulas. And then when she'd see something in in a different context, it would, I mean, she's now doing AP calculus, so she's doing okay with it, but still, (laughs) you know, it's still like, she wants to know what the formula is. And then she wants to know how to apply that formula. And that can be very limiting for many kids. And so, um, you know, that can create test anxiety and other, other downstream problems when they, when they get to it. So it's really important for all of us to help them build the flexible thinking so that they see a problem in many different ways. So when a student goes through Homer, are they going to learn, I guess they learn how to add in multiple directions, like they learn Common Core plus? Exactly. Exactly. So the way we're building it out is that you- I don't even know what the old way was called. Yeah. (laughs) I just called the old way. Yeah, exactly. The old way. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, we're with really little kids, so it's it's not even, this is even pre-Common Core. But yeah, so this is, you know, really helping them think about the basic numeracy, but you know, it's, it's, you can see, you know, you're adding three and then you're taking one away in the middle, you know, instead of taking one at the beginning or at the end. And so we're helping them understand, you know, how to map objects to numbers and then how to manipulate those um, in very different ways. Even little things like we'll take a character and move it from the left side to the right side. And you would think that that's quite simple then, but the child actually, it's, it's, it's spatially disorienting. So then they're trying to think about, is it the same problem, even though the character's on a different side? So those are little tricks we can do to help them really build the, the mental muscle to understand that they're, you know, how to look at problems. So one of the things that you've kind of 
you know, really focused in on is that two to eight year old range. Yeah. And then you talked about it before where you said, hey, come fourth grade. If you're not at a specific level, there's going to be a drop off. A lot of kids struggle when it comes to fourth grade. Is that in the future roadmap for Homer is like to open and expand grade levels? Uh, and then I'm curious, why is it that you haven't done it just yet? I'm curious, like, what's the difference? Not that you not that you're not on a path or something like more like. What is unique? What's the what's the unique challenge that presents like Homer as a product or a service has to actually adapt to? Yeah, no. From a business side, we really focused on how do we you know meet our consumer needs in this sort of because the user behavior is different pre kindergarten versus post kindergarten. The role of a teacher comes into play in a different way. So really, the dynamics of learning are quite different before they've entered kindergarten versus when they're in elementary school. So we really wanted to make sure that we were providing an end-to-end service for families, the digital, the physical, and the experiential in that um, kind of really two to six has been our sweet spot with some kids in the, in the six, seven, eight or more in the category of kids who are struggling and they're kind of catching up more. But we are, we are definitely looking to age up. Um, we're looking at how do we think about the kind of future of education really in a COVID context that's accelerated so much. And what are the gaps in the market that we're seeing, you know, in teaching? I think that there are many ways to be quite innovative in reading and math, you know, so you're still delivering some of the traditional elements that you were talking about that your daughter, when she's learning to read or your son, when he's learning math, but doing and thinking about other other languages, you know, even looking at coding, looking at critical thinking, you know, all of these sort of 21st century skills you know, that we need to make sure that our children in that sort of five to 10 age range are really set up well to do. So this is an interesting time because you kind of hinted at your thought process here, and I'd love to hear your opinions here. Obviously, in the last 12 calendar months, learning has been completely upended, right? Society's been upended. I've read about how like there's a record number of kids falling behind now. Yep. Um, I, I can't speak for the nation, but I read somewhere in the county I live in that uh, the number of children um, that are at failing levels now is like quadrupled. Yep. Right. And I can't tell if it's because, so, I mean, I can tell what I see as a parent. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are preventing learning. Right. But one of the things that I I see is that you have everything from, you know, in a, in a classroom setting, you're always being pulled at, you know, the, the person who's like at the furthest ahead is always pulled Mm -hmm. to the lowest common denominator. So like the most troublesome kid kind of dictates the pace of learning in a classroom, Yeah, which is brutal, right? It's very brutal. But now we've entered a new problem, which is like IT problems, or Mm -hmm. we've entered scheduling problems. So it's not even like we're talking about disruptive behavior. We're talking about like kids can't get online with their peers Mm -hmm. or they have. So like the whole pace at which learning is done has just slowed down. Yeah. It's, Basically, if you as a mom and dad can't push your kid forward, mm-hmm. they won't push forward because the school the school cannot do it. Like they basically cannot do it because like kids don't turn their cameras on or they can't make you turn your camera on. Like yeah. it's like set for like 10 minute classes. Like the classes, for those of you that don't get the classes are literally 10 minutes long, maybe shorter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some of them are just video recordings that are sent to the child and you they're not even a Zoom or a Google Google Meet. That's right. That's right. It's a, you watch this video, right? You watch the video. And I can't tell my kids picking up anything. They're just spacing out. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a, there's a huge change that's about to happen. And I think that big change is when, when let's assume things get better. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels like a lost year. Like I feel like a lot of kids probably lost a year of learning. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, the McKinsey study, I think they're estimating about 60% of low-income students have lost over a year of academic gains. I think we're starting to see even differences between um, boys and girls. You know, I think that we're starting to see that young boys have had a harder time staying connected and concentrating. You know, so we're seeing all kinds of challenges. Also at the younger ages has been the hardest, you know, where kids are not used to learning in front of a screen. Parents are busy. You know, it's hard to juggle work from home and your kids, you know, and you know, we talked to parents who are trying to like do art classes with their child while they're on their work Zoom. You know, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So, you know, it's a time, it's an education, it's, time, it's a time for disruption, you know? And so I think that we've known, we started Homer knowing that there was tremendous uh, potential in technology and education, and it's just been accelerated now, which is very exciting. The question is, what do we do going forward? And I think that's some of what you're, what you're talking about. I think that we're going to see a couple of trends. One is, you know, parents never really had that view before how their child learned. We did this huge listening tour with parents and they said, I had no idea what, what kind of learner my kid was until I'm sitting in the same room watching them on a Zoom or hearing what they do. And I now have a view of what they're like as a student. And for some parents that was like, I think they need more help in this. For some, they were like, I'm really proud that my child's really strong in this. But it was, it's a moment of transparency that parents didn't have, right? The old model is parents worked they, or didn't work, but they dropped their kids off in the morning and they'd pick them up in the afternoon. And they had really no view unless there was a parent-teacher conference on how their child was doing. And that's all changed. And I think that's going to create more of, I think we're going to have more of a blend between the parent and teacher. What we've always known, Albert, is that there are reams and reams of data that show the first you know, five to six years are the most important years for the brain development and for a child's learning. And those are the years where a parent is with the child. But I don't think there's enough education yet for parents and enough tools that help them understand, one, how important that period is, and two, what what they can do. What are the tools and resources they can do? One thing I like to talk about is, and maybe this will resonate with you, is that these are the foundational years. And so these stories get formed in kids' heads in the first six years. So there could be positive or negative, right? I'm really good at math, or I'm really bad at reading, or I'm a really nice kid, or I'm a mean kid who bites other kids. (laughs) And so, but they do, this is like becomes their narrative. And that narrative kind of gets set in those first six years. And so then the psychology of the human brain is you spend the rest of your life finding ways to find evidence to support whatever that narrative is. And because that narrative is so important, you know, one of the things we're excited about at Homer is how do we continue to have conversations with parents such as yourself about how do we create, how do we build the systems and tools and support for children to provide the best, really the best foundation possible? And what are all the ways in which parents can play a role in that? And I think COVID is changing all of that. Do you see um, school districts going more towards private enterprise to help them bring kids back up to speed? I know that forget the buying process of yeah, uh, procurements, rough. Yeah, school districts. It's it's it's, 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 it's <laughs> we know ridiculous. that's a different conversation. That's yeah. a totally different conversation. Yeah. Yes, every oh, it's unbelievable. Like the whole state <laughs> has to align just to get one thing executed. Oh, trust me, trust me. I know, I know. But is that? I mean, it feels inevitable, right? Because sure. I already did it. I found private enterprise to help my kid, yes. right? It's going to happen. And um, do you see it becoming more of a, a standard? It, 
it won't become standardized unless a state fully adopts it. But right. do, you, do yeah. you see states going that route? I do. I mean, we're already seeing it at the kind of preschool, pre-K. Schools are providing, you know, they're licensing, they're they're using providers such as Homer and other software companies, math and other companies to provide a service to their families. So we're seeing that more and more. Um, so I do think that'll just continue to be a trend where teachers are saying, look, we can't do it all, right? And so, you know, the question is, what is the best use of the classroom time? And what's the best use of home time? And just really challenging homework, you know, the construct of homework has really not changed in decades, <laughs> you know? And so the kids are still doing the same worksheets and, you know, and I think that all of this and COVID is helping us really rethink time, right? Time and role, like what's the role of a teacher? What's the role of a parent? What's the role of a classroom? What's the role of social um, smaller structures and what's the role of in-home time. We're also seeing Albert, I think more and more of a trend, you know, it's kind of a different homeschool model where parents are going to maybe stay in these co-ops or pods, you know, especially if they have very young children, you know, they're enjoying kind of that, you know, maybe challenging even, you know, should I be spending all that money on a preschool education when, you know, they're there for only four hours. And is there some other way, frankly, of delivering that learning um, in a smaller environment? So I think all of this is is really open for change and innovation. No, I agree. I, I think the, so. I think private supplementation is going to continue. Mm-hmm. Now that I've heard you, I'm going to give Homer a try. I'm going to pl- go ahead and plug your business. Excellent. We see Young Isle Ann st- sign up. That's my girl. All right. Nice. If you tell nice. me she's not, you know, good at stuff, up, I'm j- I I just deal with it. You have my email. You can. You, we can talk. Hey, listen. <laughs> I deal with it. Like I, I'm not afraid to face problems. That's the way I look at it. It's like if I if you can, if my daughter can't read, I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> but she can read. She's but she does have. She's at the point now where you can imagine many kindergartners. Yeah. The English language. The fact that it does, like the KN, like it's mind blowing to her that knife knowledge. She's like, what do you mean? It's like, and it sounds like you just got to remember it. <laughs> yeah. It's not intuitive. Reading is the, it's, you're not born to read. It's, and the English language is so complex with so many exceptions. Yeah. Every rule. She doesn't understand that. So that's, I'll, yeah. I would like, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely give Homer a try. I'd like to see, you know, the different impacts. I think it's going to be very cool. Great. But Steph. It is time now for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Stephanie, this is where we ask you questions outside of work so that our audience can get to know you better. Great. All right. You mentioned that your husband is hard on the kids. How about yourself? Are you hard on them for not performing well in school? No, I'm hard on them for manners. In fact, my 16-year-old said, you know, mom, I never understood it really before when I was little. You used to drive me crazy. But now she said, I think I'm going to be like that with my own kids as well. (laughs) So my husband's really the academic one and I'm the manners. How can you say you're not the academic one? You're from Harvard. Yeah, I guess it's (laughs) it's all degrees of gradation, right? So currently when you are not at Homer, what do you do for fun? I love to cook. I love to cook. And I've learned actually my husband's family's Indian recipes. So I'm learning how to cook Indian. So I, I make a really mean chicken curry and chole and rajma. And I'm learning the family recipes, which is super fun. All right. I unfortunately did not get to taste Indian food until I was 20 something years old. It is the, one of the most absolute fragrant, amazing flavored styles of cuisine. Now I've also read and seen from my friends, that Indian weddings are preposterously long. They're like three days long. Did you have a three-day long wedding? 
<laughs> no, I, in fact, when we met with the, the, the pundit, the Hindu priest, I said, I need the 45 minute version. And he just <laughs> smiled and spoke in Sanskrit. So I thought he understood what I was saying. And then my father-in-law was translating during the wedding. It went a little longer, but the one issue was I didn't understand anything I was saying. So I didn't know what I was signing up for because it was all in Sanskrit. So I told my husband later, I'm like, I hope that everything that you asked me to promise was actually something I wanted to promise because I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're obviously an avid advocate for learning. How about for yourself? What do you like? What subjects are you interested in now outside of outside of work? Because you mentioned before, like your degree, I couldn't even I can recite it. What was your degree in at, uh, at UCLA? You were uh, I was studied planetary science, geophysics, planetary science. Yes. No, I'm interested. I, I have so many interests. So one is, and you're going to laugh at this, but I really want to learn how to do bird watching. And I, and my husband, when I first said it to him, he's like, what are you like 70 years old? <laughs> and I said, no, but I just feel like that would be a beautiful thing to do. Very meditative. You know, you kind of slow down. So I'm interested just, I, I grew up in nature. I grew up on an almond and walnut farm. I really, I love the idea of just kind of living and being on the land and, you know, having kind of that freedom. So anything that kind of pulls me out of my house and into nature is where I love to spend my time. There you go. Stephanie, she is co-founded Homer online education. She is an avid chef cooking Indian food, avid learner and wants to I believe the verb is birding. Isn't that what's called? Bird watching? They call it birding. Maybe it's birding. I hope that's not <laughs> hunting of the birds. <laughs> I think it's called birding. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, dead, I'm, dead I'm learning today. <laughs> well, Stephanie, thanks for joining us on the show and sharing your perspectives on learning. It was very interesting to talk with you. Thanks, Albert. Take care. It was fun. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.